this day for your word, and we pray, God, as we, as we jump into it, Father, that your Holy Spirit would teach us, your Spirit would lead us, and your Spirit would guide us into all truth, Lord. And, and we also we want to pray for the pages, Father, as they're uh, in the throes of things today, God. Just give them a peace and a calm and a joy. We pray it all in your Son's name. Amen. All right, well, I want to start this morning by asking you a question. The question is, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Now, I'm not talking about the kind of fears like fear of heights or of spiders or kale or whatever you might be afraid of, okay? I'm talking about the kind of fears that, you know, the kinds that go down into the depths of who you are, okay? They impact the way that you live out your daily life sometimes. I mean, fears that sometimes seem to hold you hostage, like fears of failure or fears of abandonment or losing control or fear of what people might think about you. Now, these are the kind of fears that cause us so often to avoid so many good things that we are meant to enjoy in this life because we're convinced so often that these things are so unconquerable. There's no way I'm going to get over this, so I have to live this certain way. I have to avoid certain things. I have to avoid sometimes get certain people or situations that could potentially cause some pain or maybe some embarrassment or some shame, and we find ourselves living that way. I have a feeling for many of us, we don't even realize a lot of times we live our lives that way because we've been living it like that for so long. Maybe it's, or maybe it's the fear of loneliness or abandonment. So we fill our time with wasteful activities or being, <clears throat> excuse me, or being with people or in relationships that are not healthy for us, that we don't necessarily should be in, that are not good and safe for us. Well, as we continue looking in the book of Matthew, uh, going through this, this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at two stories of people that are, people that are forced to face their fears. Okay, two stories of people that are forced to face their fears. And in these stories, we're going to see that what Jesus is going to do, he's giving these people an opportunity to see his power and his authority demonstrated in a way that they have not yet seen. It's going to be new to them, okay? But it's going to help them to understand how to then have faith that can overcome their deepest fears, okay? And it's really my prayer this morning and my hope as I've been thinking about this this week that this will really help us. Because I've been thinking about this myself today. What are the fears? I'm pretty acutely aware of my fears. I'm sure there's some I'm not. But my hope has been through this week, through these stories, that you and I will find, figure out a way to have this kind of faith as well, faith that overcomes our deepest fears. So let's look at the first story. Let's jump right in. This is the first story where Jesus demonstrates his power and authority over the natural world, okay? This first story is going to be where Jesus demonstrates his power and his authority over the natural world. Look at Matthew chapter 8. We're in Matthew chapter 8. Look at verses 23 to 27. They say this. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm in the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? 
Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And men marveled, the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Now remember, if you remember last week, Jesus had given orders for his disciples to get in a boat and head over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But remember, he was confronted by these two would-be disciples. Okay, remember we talked about all that and how that went down. Okay, so his interaction with them is done. That's all taken care of, and now they're they're getting ready to head over, okay? They're finally going to get in this boat and go over and head out across the sea. Now, we're not told how long they had been out in the water, but eventually they find themselves in the middle of a very, very violent storm. If you know anything about this part of the world, because of its geographical location, violent squalls and storms frequently occurred on the Sea of Galilee, especially out in the open water. Yet, what's interesting about this is, yet despite how fierce this storm is, we see that Jesus is perfectly asleep as the boat is tossed around in this storm. And I got to tell you, I've heard sermons on this. I've, you know, I've, when I was a kid, I saw flannel graphs of this. And I still, it's still just, how in the world? I, okay, he's Jesus, he's God, I get it. But this is his little boat. This was not a big boat. They weren't on a ship, okay? They were not on this big ship cruise liner. This was a small fishing boat. And it pretty much had enough room just to fit this group of men in it, okay? So this was a pretty small boat. It's not, a, not, not big enough that you would think that, okay, he's, not, he's probably not getting too wet. No way. Everybody, including Jesus, was completely exposed to the elements and the effects of the storm. This is what boggled my mind, even as a kid. There's no way that Jesus was not getting slapped with waves. There's no way. He was getting drenched, he was getting wet, he was feeling the wind. It was chaos all around him. I mean, my stomach's starting to hurt just thinking about it because I get motion sick so easy. This thing was going crazy. This is what makes it so odd that Jesus was able to sleep amidst such chaos. Not gloss over that. This is one of those things like, this is one of those Bible stories just like, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. This is an amazing thing that he was able to sleep. Some say that he was able to sleep because he was so exhausted. And therefore, what this really does is highlights his humanity. Well, no doubt he was exhausted. It had been a long, long day of ministry. But more likely, the reason that Jesus was able to sleep so calmly with all this happening around with, not only was he tired, but the main thing I think was he, the peace that he had. He had, it was like, totally, have you ever looked at, like, I love looking at my, because I don't have little kids anymore. I used to love looking and watching them. Now I do it with my grandson. You ever look at a little kid who's asleep and you just think, oh my gosh, that's just so peaceful. They're just like, they're just looking like, nothing like how I sleep. Ask my wife. I'm all over the place. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's me. You, there's no peace going on. But look, I, th- I think this is amazing. He is so at peace because he knows that his father is in complete control of this situation. He's able to rest. He goes, I'm tired. So he's able to rest. Look what Psalm says. The psalmist says, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. 
And in Proverbs, Solomon tells his son that if he trusts in the Lord with all of his heart, he says this, if you lie down, you will not, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Wow. Wow. Sweet. And this is what Jesus was experiencing, this sleep, this sweet, wonderful sleep, because he trusted his father. And this is just one of the results, really, of faith that overcomes our fears. And Jesus had it. He had it because of his absolute trust in who his father was and what he knew he could do. Now, seasoned fishermen like Peter and Andrew and James and John, if all these guys were on the boat, were certainly familiar with storms. This couldn't have been any, this, they couldn't have been shocked. Oh my gosh, a storm on the Sea of Galilee. This was no surprise to them. But you, we can see that their fear that evidenced in these verses shows that this was no ordinary storm. This had to be something very, very unique. It's also interesting to note, I read this in a couple things this week that talked about the fact that in ancient Israel, this term, the sea, or when anybody thought about the sea, in scripture almost represented chaos and disorder. So when they thought about that, that had to be, this no doubt had to be playing into their fears as well when they think about the sea as chaos and disorder. So for them, it was compounded. It was, it was huge. So they wake Jesus up, hoping that he will save them from drowning. It's like, it's like he's saying, Jesus, Jesus, we've seen you do some incredible things. Remember, they just got done seeing him heal the leper and healing the centurion's servant. He says, okay, we've seen you do, we've seen you do these things. We need you to do it again, okay? Time to, show's on. We need you to do some work again. Keep us from drowning. You see, their main concern was survival, understandably. They wanted to survive. But as we're going to see, Jesus' main concern for them was for them to better understand who he really is, to better understand his power and his authority. Now, notice in the first part of verse 26 that before Jesus calms the storm, Jesus doesn't just say, what, what, what? Oh, oh, oh yeah, this is terrible. No, he doesn't do that. Before he calms the storm, he, address, he goes right to addressing the disciples' lack of faith, which is the cause of their fear. And he says it right there. Why are you afraid, O oh, you, of little faith? It's like what Jesus is saying is, don't you guys get it? Don't you understand who's on board this boat with you? Do you not get it? Haven't you been listening to what I've been saying? Haven't you been watching what I've been doing? It's like what Jesus is doing here. It's it's almost like he's reminding them of just what happened just earlier in the day when when he was confronted by the leper and by the centurion. Remember, he healed the leper with only a word. He said, be clean. And remember when he healed healed the servants, uh, the centurion's servant? How did he do that? He did it from, he didn't even go there to heal. He just said, it's done, go. So he's trying to remind them of who he is, the power and authority that he has. I mean, they were starting to grasp his power and authority to heal. They were starting to see that because they had witnessed it, but that was not enough. Okay, it wasn't enough. Now Jesus is pushing his disciples to go deeper and deeper into understanding truly his power 
and his authority. Okay, now Jesus, you got to understand how Jesus isn't addressing fear in the ordinary and necessary sense. I mean, he's not expecting the disciples to disregard their normal reaction to what's going on around them. That would be crazy. After all, I mean, fear, what these guys are experiencing to some degree is perfectly normal and natural in this situation. These are experienced fishermen, and this storm is huge. So he's, he's not denying that. What Jesus is addressing is their excessive fear, okay? He's addressing their fear that pushes faith in God out the back door, okay? Fear that doesn't recognize who is in control. Fear that doesn't acknowledge who's on board the boat with them, you see? So we, in the second half, we see in verse 26, without any further discussion, Jesus gets up, stands up, Rebukes the storm, and I love this. And he says, and there was what? A great calm. I mean, it didn't just, the storm just didn't just subside a bit. It just didn't go from big giant squalls to little, no, it just went to absolutely calm. And it says, great calm. It's supposed to have blown their minds. Now, that's power, that is authority. In verse 27, we, see the, we even see the disciples are blown away because they are th- they're beginning to see that Jesus, oh my gosh, our, their loved, their beloved rabbi was more than just a great teacher and he was more than just a great healer, but one who had actual power and authority, not just over sickness, not just over people that were, that were close to death, but over nature itself. They had no category for this whatsoever. For us, we've heard the story so many times. For them, this was mind-boggling. And they even say, this is the shocking, what sort of man is this? What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? In other words, who is this guy? Who is this guy? See what he's doing? He's ramping things up for the disciples. He's pushing them further. They're realizing that Jesus is obviously far more than they had imagined him to be. Far more. You see what Jesus is doing in this story is he's providing his disciples with an opportunity to experience his power and his authority in a way that they had not yet experienced it so that they would be able to deepen in their faith and trust in him and no longer be ruled by their fears, but ruled by their faith in him. Here's the bottom line here. The bottom line here is the more you and I recognize the power and authority of Jesus, the deeper and richer our faith will be. I hear this all the time. How do I grow in my faith? How do I get my faith to grow? I don't feel like I have much faith. I'm weak in my faith. How do I grow? Here's one of the greatest ways to grow is to constantly be reading the scriptures in a way that help you to understand the incredible power and the authority, the majesty, the greatness of Jesus. That will increase your faith. His power and his authority. 
Faith that enables you and I to face the storms of life without paralyzing fear. Faith that recognizes who's truly in complete control of the storm and that acknowledges that we are never, ever alone. See, the big question for all of us who follow Jesus is this. Do we believe that as the storms of life are raging all around us, that Jesus has the power and the authority to intervene in our lives for his glory and for our good? Do we believe that? In other words, when we find ourselves gripped with fear, we're right in the midst of our fear. Do we place our focus on the fear or do we place the focus on Jesus, the one who has the power and the authority over all creation we're seeing here? I think that if we're we're honest with ourselves, most of us would say, most of the time, it's fear. I know I would. Isn't that our knee-jerk reaction? It's natural. It's our knee-jerk reaction when we're afraid to all of a sudden focus on that fear. What if, what if, what if, what if? That's why we have this story in the Bible. It's to help us to see that only in recognizing and believing in the power and the authority of Jesus are we able to have faith that helps us to overcome our deepest fears. Are you getting the theme of this sermon yet? Are you getting it yet? Because I I can't say power and authority too many more times, but we're gonna, okay? We're gonna say a lot here. So we've seen that Jesus now has demonstrated his power and authority over the natural world. Now in this next story, he goes a step further in demonstrating the scope of his power and his authority by demonstrating his power and authority over the supernatural world, okay? He's gonna take them Deep, even deeper now. Long section here, verses 28 to 34. Follow along. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before our time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him saying, if you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed man. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. All right, we see, so after, after landing on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, this group of men find themselves in the country of the Gadarenes. Now, this is a region that was controlled by a town of Gadara, or however, that's how you pronounce it. And it's a region, what is, why this is important, it's a region that's inhabited primarily by Gentiles. Okay, so this is mostly non-Jewish people that they are now going to be with, okay? Right away, though, these two demon-possessed men approach Jesus. And we see that because of the demons, what has happened to these men? It says that they become so fierce 
that no one wants to go anywhere near this area. No one wants to go by it. Everybody is completely staying away because of these guys. Now, I know demon possession is kind of a strange thing for us in our society today to talk about what demon possession and, and all that, what that all looks like. Really, for most people's reference for demons comes from TVs and movies and video games, and that's it. That's all they know about it. And, and oftentimes, it's made into look like child's play. I remember as a kid growing up, I did not, my family was not very, super into, into Christianity, I would say. As a young kid, I was a devil for many, many Halloweens. Well, I was just a devil, too. <laughs> but for Halloween, I was the devil. And I loved it. I loved my pitchfork. I loved the horns. I loved the whole idea of being the devil. And, you know, it was just for a kid that had, was a little bit rebellious or anything, that was awesome for me. I'm the devil. You know, if I did anything bad, hey, I'm the devil, you know? So I think a lot of times we make it sound like it's, 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 no, it's not that big a deal. But you know what? The reality is that the Bible tells us that demons are very, very real. They are very real. They're fallen angels that their goal is they are to be at odds with everything that is about God and everything that is about his purposes. Okay? And they're very, very real. The Apostle Paul even confirms this battle when he says in the Ephesians, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Very real. Very real what's going, what's going on. And we will, we will be touching more on this later. Now, notice that the first thing that these demons do, what's the first thing right out of the gate that demons do? Do they run away? Do they, what do they do? What's the very first thing the demons do? They acknowledge that who Jesus is. Right away, they acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. What do we have to do with you, Jesus, Son of God? I mean, right away. What this tells us is that the, that the demons are very much aware of who Jesus is and what he can do. And these demons, these specific demons, are aware that he might do something horrific to them sooner than they're expecting it to happen. Okay? Something, they know something's going to happen, but they're expecting he's going to do something sooner. See, this phrase where he says, before time, what do you have to do before, before time here? Implies a recognition by the demons that they are aware that there is a time when them messing with people is going to come to an end. They know that it is going to come to an end, that their time is limited. This phrase speaks to the final day of judgment. When God will make all things right and Satan, along with all his minions, will be destroyed forever. Okay? That's what they're talking about. Are you here to do something before that time? See, these demons want to know, if Jesus is going to call, are you going to cause us to suffer now before that time? Because they knew that Jesus had the power to do it. They don't really, they don't know everything but they know that there's some stuff going on that something's down, coming down the pike. So they're thinking, is it now? I mean, are you going to do something else prior to all that craziness? And we don't know exactly why the demons request to be sent into the pigs or even why Jesus grants them their wish. We don't know. There's a few theories out there. You can go read them. Kind of boring, but you can go read them. The important thing is 
The pigs aren't the focus of the story, okay? The pigs aren't the focus of the story. It's Jesus's power and authority over the supernatural world. That's the point of the story. We see that the reaction of the pigs to these demons, look what happens. The demon, Jesus grants it, go. They go to the pigs, they, well, look, they run down to the bank of the steep hill and they drown. What a picture. They say that there was probably up to about 2,000 pigs, okay? Can you imagine, 2,000 pigs just grazing along, smelling up the air, you know, just loving life, doing their pig thing, and then 2,000 of them all of a sudden, what? They just take bolt toward down the steep hill into the water, and they all drowned. I mean, Jesus had a flair for the dramatic. What an example. Now, whereas Mark in his gospel gives this touching account of the rehabilitation of this former demoniac, actually, he only talks about one, and of his, of his desire to join Jesus, Matthew leaves that out. See, Matthew leaves that out of the story because he seems to want to be more concerned with the impression that are left on the local people by Jesus' power and authority over the supernatural. So the pigs all drown, okay? The herdsmen see this. They run back to town to tell everybody what's happened, both to the pigs and to the men. Now, you, remember, it says, and the whole town, everybody came out because they had heard what? You've got to be kidding. These guys that we know about that have been terrorizing everybody, they're okay now? And, and whoa, what? We got a couple thousand pigs we just lost that big of a herd. We got to go check this out. So they all go down there. Now, you would think that these people of this region would have been grateful, wouldn't you? You would think that they'd be thrilled. Oh, my gosh, this guy, these guys, oh, man, we have safe, safety around us now. And, oh, my gosh, these guys that have been being terrorized, everything is okay with them. That is so great. And who is, you'd think they would be asking him, you know, wanting to know who Jesus is, you would think instead of focusing on, you would, on focusing on the other stuff, they'd be focused purely on the fact that these guys have been freed and everything was really good. But, but instead, we see here that they focus on fear. You would think that they'd start bringing their sick people. Can you imagine going, you did that? Uh, uh, my mom, she's really, my son. If you'd think people would start bringing people out like crazy. No, it doesn't happen. You would think that they would even ask Jesus, who are you? What's this all about? Where do you get the power to do this? I don't, I don't understand. Where does this come from? No, we see none of that here, none of it. Instead, they focus, in focusing on his power, they focus on their fear. You see, it was obvious to these people, that to them, that associating with this person would seriously disrupt their lives. To associate, be associated with him would seriously disrupt their lives. Who knows what he would ask of us? Would there be other things that we valued that being associated with him would cause us to lose? I mean, we just lost a lot of income there. Are there other things that if we accept this guy, we might lose as well? You see, they had the opportunity to find healing for their very souls, yet instead they chose out of fear not to upset the status quo. Something happens 
When this is something that happens, I believe, when we don't see Jesus' power and authority for what it is. And I think that happens in the world, too. People see, even though they see his power and authority. Am I sounding weird all of a sudden here? Oh, sorry. It's me. Um, they see Jesus' power. They see his authority. But oftentimes, they go, you know what? That's great. That's amazing. But I don't, don't bring that here. Don't bring that here because I've finally got things worked out. I finally got the walls built up right. I've got the protection. I know who to avoid. I know what to avoid. I know how to live my life. Don't, let's not mess things up. That looks awesome. That looks amazing for you. But don't mess with my world. Very common. But when we start to understand his power and authority, things changes. And chances are, that in order to have faith that overcomes our fear, most of us are probably going to have to start seeing Jesus as far more than we have imagined him to be. Does that make sense? To have the faith that really is going to overcome our fears, we're going to have to start seeing him as way more than we have actually seen him to be. I, I believe that we think that we understand Jesus' power and authority. When I started working on this sermon and I realized this is where it was going to go, okay, Jesus' power and authority, yeah, I get that. I understand that. But then I, it, just, it hit me. And I realized the problem is that we are finite, you and I are finite beings trying to wrap our heads around an infinite being. It's impossible. It is an absolute, an infinite being that is impossible to measure. You can't measure or calculate God. But we do it all the time, don't we? I think I, feel, I think I got God figured out. We would never say that. But I think I got this Christian thing. Pretty much if I just stay on this track and do things this way, I've got it figured out. We think we know, but we don't. Just look at what the Bible, I just felt like we needed to do this for a minute. Look at what the Bible, the book, by the way, that's all about Jesus Look what it says about his power and his authority. I just want to throw some verses up there for you. Matthew 28, 28 says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Hebrews 1, 3, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Colossians 1, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Revelation 17 tells us that he will, he will reign as king forever. 1 Corinthians 15 says that he has triumphed over death, yours and mine. Guys, this, I, we've just scratched the surface about his amazing power and his authority. The truth is that as we embrace the reality of Jesus' power and authority, we're then able to step out in faith, trusting him to do only what he can do. Only what he can do. 
You see, when we decide to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, like we've been talking about the last few weeks, there will be times when you and I will have to face the storms of our deepest fears. But here's the beauty in that. The beauty in that we'll never have to face them alone. We never have to face them alone. Jesus knew. Jesus knew that they were going into a storm. Jesus is omniscient. He knows everything. He fully knew when they were getting in on that boat that they were heading into one of the biggest storms these guys had ever seen. He didn't wake up from his nap going, what in the world is going on? He knew what was happening. And it's because he loved his disciples that he wanted to give them an opportunity to experience firsthand his power and his authority in order that they would learn to completely trust in him and could put their complete faith in him. And so it is with us. So it is with us because Jesus loves you and I so much. He will allow us opportunities for us to face our deepest fears in order that we can see his power and his authority displayed in ways that will help us to learn to have faith in him that overcomes our fears. Now, I know this is difficult, and for many of us, we're like, I don't want to go there, God. I don't want to see those. I don't want to face those things. Let me tell you, God loves you and I too much to not provide us with those opportunities. Some, will be, some we will have no choice but to have to face. Others we just will we'll turn away. I don't want to do that. But God loves us so much, he will allow us to have these opportunities, not just because, oh, that's your fear? Oh, bummer. We'll work with that. I got a good therapist. We'll work with that. We'll take care of that. Not that that's a bad thing. But he wants us to experience his power and his authority. And that only happens so often when, we're go, when we allow ourselves to face our fears, to go into the storm. With him, knowing that his, his power and his authority comes with us. When we believe, it's the same thing as when we believe that Jesus is all power and all authority, we'll actually begin to reevaluate our motives and reevaluate our priorities and reevaluate our values because oftentimes we'll find that many of them were based on our fears. So often the things that we make so important aren't really that important once we really start to lean into Jesus and experience his power and authority because we realize, I valued that because that gave me security. But it's a false sense of security. It's a security that's not allowing me to live the full life that God wants me to live, to allow me to live in joy and freedom and in peace. Wow, that wasn't important at all. Have you ever had that happen before? You ever had come to, all of a sudden come to a place in your life and realize, I've been holding on to the wrong thing. I've been holding on to the wrong thing. I thought that was power. I thought that was authority. It was a crutch. It wasn't even a crutch. It was worse than that. Really, what these two stories call us to is faith in what only God can do to agree and believe that Jesus is far more than you and I ever imagined he is. He's far more. To see him as the Lord with power and authority over all things, to be amazed and to marvel 
at his power and his authority and to respond by completely trusting and following him into any storm, into any situation, into any fear. I want to encourage you this morning to really reach out in faith, believing, believing in the power and the authority of Jesus to give you faith, to give you faith that overcomes your deepest fears for his glory and for your good. And you can start by asking him to simply meet you where you're at. I hear so many times people say, I I hear what you're saying, Pastor. That sounds great. That just seems like a miles away for me. You know what? Ask him to meet you right where, that's that's what God's the best at, meeting us right where we are in our brokenness, in our weakness, in our frailty, in our failure. We don't have to get to a certain place to, okay, now I'm getting it. No. Ask him, please, God, meet me right where I am. Lead me from there. Ask him to give you the courage to trust that he has the power and the authority to set you free. Let's pray. Father God, once again, we're grateful for your word, your powerful and authoritative word. And as we move into communion, Father, I I ask God that you would help us to take this time to reflect, time to reflect on maybe how we have maybe put you in a box and assume that we understand your power and authority and feel like we've seen all that we're going to see, so I guess that's all that's going to happen in our lives. God, forgive us for that. Help us to repent of that during this time. I pray that, God, during this time as we, as we celebrate the death of your son, the, the sacrifice he made, God, that we would truly lean into you, lean into that power and that authority to help us to overcome our fears, to have faith that overcomes our fears. In Christ's name, amen.